I want to talk about what I call a third day miracle. Uh, my first um, thought might be I'm going to talk about the resurrection, but no, you'll understand in a minute. Third day miracle. Going back to Genesis, chapter 1, verse 11. I'm going to read verses 11 to 13. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants-bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. So that's what I'm talking about. It's a third-day miracle, because this is what actually happened. In Isaiah 61, For as the soil makes the young plant come up, and a garden causes seed to grow, Isaiah uses it for a different reason, so that the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations is a complete verse. But I want to focus just on the first half. He makes the soil, a young plant to grow, and a garden causes seed to grow. So here's what I want to talk about. It's, It's, you know, this, this planet is covered with this soil. And I have some on my lot where my house is. And this studio has soil down there all around it as well. And this soil that we have is doing something after what most of us believe is approximately 6,000 years from the point of creation to now. Okay, I know many of you don't disagree with that. It doesn't matter. It's not my point. You see, I think it's around 6,000 years plus or minus a few hours here or there. But it is important that we realize that God made earth and he actually spoke to that earth and that earth was commanded to give up into every little seed, every sprout of a root, everything that's in there. there, The earth has to give up into that what it needs to produce what its DNA is. So the blades of grass in my yard, the earth is commanded to give into that blade of grass what it needs to be a blade of grass, to be a certain color, to be a certain size, to grow so tall, and so on. And then eventually even get a seed on the top. God told the earth to do that way back then, and it's still working. You look at my lawn, they're green because the earth is still doing that. We've had a pear tree in our backyard. The earth gives up everything in order for the root to be formed, for the trunk to be formed and bark on that trunk, and then for branches to start going out, and then the branches, there's, there's um, in the early spring, there's leaves that come out, and then blossoms come out, and then afterwards the fruit starts to grow, and then that fruit, there's not only a, a skin cover, there's a core, there's seeds in there, a stem to hold it onto the tree. All that stuff is made out of the dirt. And then we had another tree in the backyard. It's a sweet cherry tree. 
it did something a little bit different. It not only got from the soil how to make the roots and how to make the bark and the trunk and the branch, but that with it, the blossoms would come out first. And then after the blossoms had fell, then the leaves would come out and the fruit would start to grow. And by the middle of June, late June, we would have a beautiful crop of sweet cherries. All because the Lord said to the earth, give up everything, that grass, that tree, and also my wife has flower rose garden down the one side, the north side, and you've got other flowers all across the bottom, other flowers and bushes, and I don't know what all up here, plus some raspberry bushes, plus a, a snowball tree, plus a lilac tree, all growing out of the same dirt. How, do, how does the dirt know what to do for each one? How does the dirt know that that, that cherry tree needs different stuff than the pear tree. How does it know that the grass needs different stuff than the rose, the, the rose bed or the snowball tree? How does it know? So I asked my buddy, who's good at science, I said, how do they know? How, do, how does the earth know? He said, they don't. They don't. Oh, I said, if there is no God, how does the earth know what to do here? He said, well, in a scientific world, we would say, oh, that's the mystery of life. Now, he knows, and he actually said, that's not a scientific answer to that question. You can't just say it's a mystery of life. And he said other people might say it just happens. DNA or something happens. He said that's not the right answer either. Science does not have an answer to tell me how the earth knows the difference between a blade of grass and a pear tree and a cherry tree and a rose garden and a lilac bush and a snowball. It doesn't, how does the earth know? There is no answer except there has to be a God because there's nothing else that can explain how the earth knows what to give up. But God said to the earth, give up what it needs. Now, the land that we're talking about, God is concerned about it. As a matter of fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, when, God, when Moses is instructing the children of Israel, teaching them Deuteronomy, it's where he's recapping everything that's happened in the last 39 and a half years. It says, is, it is the land the Lord God gives you. Forty times he says, the land that you're going to move in on is the land that God has given you. We know it belongs to the Lord. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. 
for it, found, for it is founded on the seas and established it upon the waters. And so I all of a sudden realized this whole planet where there's dirt and things growing because there's moisture and sunshine, God says, that's my soil. I have spoken to it, and it's doing what I said to do. The scripture I love about us as human beings, Psalm 139. The psalmist is saying, Lord, you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I like to, I like to think of, you know, both my wife and my mother used to knit and just God fitting me together in there like he fits you together in your mother's womb. He says, I will praise you because I'm fearfully, which means with great respect, and I'm wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you. In other words, God could see what was going on in your mother's womb when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Now, hold, hold it just a minute. If I was knit together in my mother's womb, what did he mean by woven in the depths of the earth? And then I realized everything my mother ate to give me the needed nourishment to grow in there, everything, whether it was meat products, vegetable products, fruit products, everything originated from the earth because everything the cow ate originated for beef and milk and all, cheese and all, and everything the chicken ate came from the earth, the legs, the, the thighs, the wings, the, the eggs, all that stuff comes from the earth. Because the seed to eat, the grass to eat, all comes from the earth. And so I was literally woven together down in the soil because God had said, when Howard's in the womb of his mother, you give up everything into the plants, the fruit, the, the meat products, you give it up so that he will grow in that womb for those nine months. He said, your eyes saw my unformed body, and yet God was watching. You know, the Bible says he's concerned about even the sparrow falling. Well, I'm made in his image. A sparrow is not. He's still concerned about the sparrow. I'm made in his image, so how much more is he concerned about me in my mother's womb? Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them even came to be. That last phrase means he was not only speaking and telling the earth to give up everything my mother needed, but he was also writing in a book that he has with my name on it, and he was writing in things that said, this is what I would love to do in Howard's life. This is the ministry I'd love to have him, and this is what I'm, I'm saying is I'm going to open doors for him. If he will serve me and obey me, those things can happen, whether he has the ability or not. Glory to God. All right, we have to learn about our responsibility. Job says in Job, Job chapter 12, 
verse 8, just the first part of it. He said, speak to the earth and it will teach you. And you'll say, what I've read to you already from these different scriptures, the earth is in there with God's blessing on it and God's instructions on it and God's power in it that 6,000 years later, it's still doing what he said because grass is still growing in my lawn and my, my trees are still there, the flowers are still there. You understand, 6,000 years later, it's still happening and that's, that teaches me that there is a God. It doesn't just happen. There's no, no DNA here. There's, you know, you take a handful of dirt and you go and you say, now let's see, it, it blossomed into a beautiful red rose. I'm going to analyze this dirt. I'm going to find some red stuff in there that made a red flower. It's not there. It's not there. So we need to learn from the earth. So if we learn about this gift that God has given us, we need to ask ourselves, is it possible for us to lose it? So let's look at some things. The first is we can lose it by spilling innocent blood. Numbers 35, 13. Do not pollute the land where you are. Bloodshed pollutes the land. An atonement cannot be made for the land in which blood has been shed except by the blood who shed it, by the blood of the one who shed it. Listen to my brothers and sisters. God has always been on the side of the weak and the helpless. God has always lent a ear to the cries, the tears, And this is what he says when he sees the injustice of bloodshed, which comes out of hatred in Ezekiel 36, verse 18a. So I poured out my wrath on them. Those are the people who were shedding blood because they had shed blood in the land. He, ended, he says it's on the land, so it pollutes the land. I can't imagine as as one teacher said, I heard him say it not too long ago, I can't imagine anybody more helpless and more weak than a child in the womb. And God says, the one who is doing that will shed their own blood in payment for the blood that they have shed. That's what the end of verse 33 means and Numbers 35. The second thing he says that will bring a curse on the land is sexual sin. Jeremiah 23, 10. The land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land lies parched and the pastures in the desert are withered. Our land is full of sexual immorality. And I'm not just pointing at the world here. I'm saying to us as a church, we have too much in the church. Too much. Too much sin that is covered. And then it comes out later on after the damage it's done to many other people. We should be ashamed of ourselves for pounding at the world when we should have been pointing at ourselves. 
We owe an apology to the world sometimes, I think, for accusing them of their sin when we ourselves have not only committed sin but then covered it over, hoping nobody would see. You can't hide sin from God. I just read something this afternoon from a website called Hello Christian. You can find that hellochristian.com. It has a lot of stuff on it. But they have an article that says, Why are so so many Christian women having abortions? According to the statistics presented by an Orthodox Christian archdiocese of North America, only 23.7% of women obtaining abortions are atheists or agnostic, meaning roughly 76% of all abortions are obtained by religious women. Now listen to this. 68.7% identify themselves as a Christian. 18% of all abortions are obtained by born-again evangelical women. We cannot point our finger at the world. We cannot go out in the, on the sidewalk or our signs declaring curses on the people who do it until we straighten ourselves out. Let's go on. The third thing is the worship of idols, Ezekiel 36, 16, 18. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel says, Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. Now, Ezekiel's talking about when they're in the Babylonian captivity. So I poured out my wrath on them because they had defiled it with their idols. What were their idols? Things that were more important to them, more precious to them than the Lord God. They were breaking the first commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. They were breaking it by loving someone else more, something else more, something more. You know who that is or what that is when in any conversation you seem to turn and eventually talk about that thing which is your God. Check yourself out. I won't bother doing it. Deuteronomy 4, verse 25 After you have children and grandchildren have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of an idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and provoking him to anger, I call heaven and earth as witness against you this day that so that you will will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long and will certainly be destroyed. Don't you feel, people, that if you have an idol, that you may not see it as an idol, but if you don't love the Lord God more than anything else you own or have or talk about, you are bringing curse on our land. Number four, dishonest business dealings. Deuteronomy 25, 15. You have been accurate and with, you have been accurate and honest weights and men, I'm sorry, you must have accurate and honest weights and measures so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does these things, anyone who deals dishonestly. 
He said, we'll live long in the land if we're honest. We won't if we're not. Number five, rebellion against God. Deuteronomy 29, verse 9, when such a person hears the word of this oath, he invokes a blessing on himself and therefore thinks, I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way. That's the definition of rebellion. Forget about God. I'm doing it my own way. This will bring disaster on the watered land as well as on the dry. So whether you have arid or wetland, it's going to bring a disaster on it. Number six, here's the results of, of our sin on the land. Leviticus 18, 24, and 25. Do not defile yourself in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled. So I promised it, it for its, so I punished it for its sin, pardon me, the land vomited out its inhabitants. What a gross way to describe it. But I'm sure when Israel was being dis, deported into captivity and later Judah was being taken into Babylonia, I'm sure it was like gross the way they were treated. Women were raped, men were killed, boys and girls were, were sexually molested by the soldiers. Again, it says in Leviticus 20, two chapters later, keep, in verse 22, keep all my decrees and laws and follow them so that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. That's just about as clear as you can get it. And there may be more that I haven't found, things that will defile the land. But if I sum them all up, it's rejecting God, doing things their own way, and loving evil. Listen, we're accountable to him. We're accountable to this God that spoke to the earth and caused that grass to grow and the trees to grow and the flowers. That God that put everything into place so that I could grow in my mother's we are accountable to him because we are created by him and are fearfully and wonderfully made, I read to you from Psalm 139. So listen to Romans chapter 1. Listen hard. Romans 1, verses 16 to 20. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first of the Jew, then for the Gentile. So stop there. He's talking about the power of God that I just talked to you about. The power of God that causes everything. Do you realize everything that you can see right now, wherever you are, was initially made, created, or grew from the earth. Everything. Verse 17, for, the, for in the gospel... A righteousness from God is revealed. Now, I've, I've told you about the gospel. The gospel is the one who causes the grass to grow and the trees to grow. That's revealed. It just doesn't happen. A righteousness that is by faith, that from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So Paul is emphasizing our need to be people of faith. 
Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness. I'm talking about the wrath of God as it talks about it in the New Testament. Don't listen to people say God is not a wrath anymore. God ever. He says right here, the wrath of God is being revealed. And then verse 19, since they may know, since they may know about God is plain to them. I just told you, how can you refute? There has to be a God to do what I told you about the earth because God made it plain to them. If you will, tonight when you lay on your bed and you look up where the ceiling's supposed to be, you've got to be honest with yourself. And I want you to ask yourself, if there is no God, what makes all that stuff of nature happen? How come I was formed in the womb from the dirt? Ask yourself that. When you're lying like that, you have to be honest with yourself. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his, his external power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Therefore, men are without excuse. He said, I don't care what atheistic doctrine you believe, agnostic doctrine, I don't care what it is, God has proven to you out of nature itself, the heavens declare the glory of God, the scriptures declare the miracle of earth giving up all that stuff into light of green and flowers and fruit. I've declared that to you and you have to acknowledge that there must be a God because there's no other explanation. We're without excuse. Listen, someday when I stand before the Father in Second Chronicles, pardon me, Second Corinthians 5.10 says this, we must all, billions of people, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. If I serve the Lord, he will tell me my reward and give me what is good. If I didn't, if I rejected him by saying, well, oh, Jesus, I'm standing here at your judgment seat, but you see, I just didn't have any proof of your existence. I didn't know that you were real. I, 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 I didn't know. Why don't you look at the grass and learn from it? Why don't you look at the earth and learn from it? Why don't you look at a cherry tree and learn from it? We are without excuse because at that moment, all deception will be gone from our eyes and we'll realize how stupid we have been not to see God at work in everything. There's an old time preacher I was reading back a while ago. He said, every blade of grass is a sermon. We have no excuse. Father, please forgive us. Please forgive us, Lord, for choosing not to believe in you, even though all this evidence is everywhere around us. We have chosen not to believe in you. Oh, Lord, God, forgive us. Open our eyes. Let us see the reality that God made and controls nature. Nature is not a woman. It's an it in the Bible because God is controlling it.
Thank you, Lord God. You're an awesome God. Thank you, Lord, for doing it. Thank you for your word that explains us. Amen. Please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.